Good morning, church family. I want to thank you, uh, Kyle and Macy, for leading us in worship. Uh, what a joy it is to, even though we're worshiping in uh, the confines of our own uh, spaces, I, I recognize that uh, corporately we are worshiping the same God. And so thank you, Kyle and Macy, for leading us into the throne room. Um, this morning I want to continue in our series on the power of mission. And uh, this morning, specifically, I want to uh, hone in on the place of mission. And uh, we're going to be in Acts, uh, the book of Acts, chapter 1. And uh, so if you want to go ahead and get your scripture out and and turn to that, uh, that will be helpful. Um, You know, our mission here at Memorial is is pretty simple. Uh, We love God, which is our worship. We, We love Him with all of our being. And because we love God, it causes us to love others. And uh, this love of others is our discipleship. And so we want to teach them what we know about loving God. And um, so as we do that, that pushes us out and sends us, compels us to go out into the world and and serve others, serve the world. And um, that is our outreach. And, um, you know, it's very helpful when we uh, understand that because that is a, a wonderful cycle of love God, love others, serve the world. And, um, you know, worship, discipleship, outreach. And uh, those three things really compel us in our world to do the things that we do. And really that's the power uh, of our mission. You know, last week we looked at the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, 18, 19, and 20. And I've never been able to read uh, the, the Great Commission of our Lord without being stirred, without, especially by the word Go. Um, when I hear that command of my Lord, um, I can't be content to remain in my place of comfort, in my place of complacency, or even uh, cowardice. Um, Those words of Jesus urge me uh, to go with the gospel uh, to my place of obedience. And, And I say that because wherever that is on this earth, it's a place of obedience when we go Uh, in the power of our Lord Jesus. Um, He brought us, uh, my sweet wife Tracy, uh, myself and our children, our family, uh, to Texas 22 years ago. It's that kind of obedience that when he says go, you go. Uh, That same obedience has led me to places like Haiti, um, Tanzania, Kenya, Indonesia, Nicaragua. Uh, You know, anything less is direct disobedience to our Lord who has commanded us to go. Um, It's not always been easy. There's times where you go and you travel and um, it may seem exciting to be a missionary, but many times it's it's doing the mundane things in life uh, uh, as we carry the gospel that that is so important. Um, But what a blessing to know that um, I've been obedient to what God has asked me to do. And I'm encouraging you today to do what God is calling you to do and to be in that place of obedience, that place of mission. And so uh, read with me, if you will. We're going to turn to Acts chapter 1, and we're going to read down through verse 8. God's Word says this. It says, The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles 
whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed for his own initiative excuse me, by his own initiative, by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Let's pray together. Loving Father, I thank you for your word and I thank you how it challenges us Thank you, Father, that you have not left us to our own devices, but, Father, that you have instructed us and given us work to do here while we remain on the earth. Father, I pray that our hearts would be stirred. Father, that you would move us out of our place of comfort, our place of complacency, our place of cowardice. And, Father, that you would move us to where you desire us to go and to be to do the things that you call us to do. Father, may we be your church, your bride, today in our world. Father, we love you. We praise you. Thank you for guiding us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, it's interesting as we read this passage, the disciples, they wanted to know the time. (laughs) But he wanted them to witness. Whatever else they might become, everything would be subordinate to the idea of personal testimony. You know, Adrian Rogers, the pastor, he he said this. He said they wanted to talk about prophecy. (laughs) He wanted to talk about proclamation. I think that's huge because a lot of times we want to sit around and we want to discuss what time or when Jesus will return. And that's what they were talking about, the disciples. And he said, listen, it's not for you to discern the time or the epics. That's for the Father alone. But you, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses. You will give testimony to me. See, they were, they, they were to call attention to what they knew about him. And to deliver his message to people. I would submit to you this morning that we need to go to the place of commission. I mean, Jesus broke down our field of mission into three areas. He said, you shall be my witnesses. First, in Jerusalem. Second, in all Judea and Samaria. And third, to the remotest part of the earth. To the ends of the earth. See, he intends for you to carry the gospel to your Jerusalem. Literally, the place where you live. 
I mean, most of us talk to people who are without Christ almost every day of our lives. The people who service our cars, the one who play on our ball teams, the one who fill our coffee cups, those that we work beside in our jobs. We talk to them about anything that concerns us or interests them. What would keep us from going to their homes to tell them about Jesus? And if we don't go, who will? Here's the problem. Excuse me. In verse 4, Jesus said, wait for what the Father has promised. Wait for what the Father has promised, the Holy Spirit. Let me give you a word of caution. You know, another word for wait is tarry. What I'm saying is, don't become a professional terrier. I was going to say don't become a professional waiter, but some people make their living doing that. And so, um, don't become a professional terrier. Don't wait and wait and wait and wait. He says, wait For the Holy Spirit. See, verse 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. If we don't have the intimacy, if we don't have the relationship with Christ and with the Holy Spirit, then we won't have the power. And listen, until we're filled, we got nothing. Unless we are filled, we will not be His witnesses. You know, A.W. Tozer, he said, if God were to take the Holy Spirit out of this world, much of what we're doing in the churches would go right on and nobody would even notice. John Stott, he said, before Christ sent the church into the world, he sent the Spirit into the church. And the same order must be observed today. See, just before he returned to heaven, Jesus explained to his disciples what they were to do after his departure. What he said to them, he says to us also. He left this earth that we might be his witnesses. See, in heaven there will be no witnesses because in heaven seeing is believing. There, the Lamb of God will be the light and there will not be a need for lesser lights But in this dark world, we are the only light He has. On earth, we are His witnesses. He doesn't send angels to proclaim His name. He doesn't write the gospel in the lightning of the skies. He uses people like us to convince other people like us to believe in Him. That's His plan. That's the way he set it up. We are God's witnesses. His evidence, if you will, to convince an unbelieving world. If we don't do our part, God has no other plan. See, our greatest need today is not for political power, but for the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, political power can change leaders, but it can't change hearts. Oh, it can win elections, but it can't save a life. Politics cannot change the way... Politics 
might be able to change the way people think because it touches the outside of their life. But only the, only the Holy Spirit can change hearts, can restore families, can save an entire nation from destruction. Folks, this is interesting. You know, Jace, uh, excuse me, James Montgomery Boyce, he wrote that the Greek word dynamis entered the English language when the Swedish chemist and engineer Albert Bernard Nobel made the discovery that became his fortune. He discovered a power stronger than anything the world had known up to that point. And so he asked his friend, who was a Greek scholar, what the word in Greek for um, explosive power was. And his friend, friend answered, dynamis. Nobel said, well then I'm going to call my discovery by that name. So he called his explosive power dynamite. See, Jesus taught that when we receive the power of the Holy Spirit, the result will not be miracles. It won't be the working of signs or healings. But the, the evidence of the Holy Spirit's power will be witnessing. That's significant. Because in a day and age when people want miracles, when people want signs, when people want healings, the evidence of the Holy Spirit's power is witnessing. Understand that. See, there are two New Testament words that convey the idea of power. One is exousia. The other is dunamis. Now, in Acts 1.8, it says... When the Holy Spirit uh, has come upon you, you will receive power. That word is dunamis, explosive power. In Matthew 28, 19 and 20, or 18, verse 18, it says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That word authority is the word for power, the word exousia, exousia, which means the authority, the, all the, the, the power and the right and the might. So he's saying, all authority, all of that power has been given to me. But when the Holy Spirit's power, the explosive power, the dunamis has come upon you, you will be my witnesses. So both of those ideas convey power in the Greek language and in the New Testament. So the one whom all authority has been given to us in heaven and on earth has granted that authority, that power to us. And he will empower us through his Holy Spirit with explosive power in order to be his witnesses. See, as Adrian Rogers once said, he said, we are to be witnesses. But Jesus didn't call us to be lawyers. <laughs> A lot of you say, well, you know, I, I just can't witness. It's not my gift. Of course you can. Suppose you saw an accident and they brought you into the courtroom and they said, tell us what you saw. You say, well, I, you know, I just can't do that. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not trained. I've never been in the courtroom before. Look, just give us the facts. Just tell us what you saw and what you heard. See, a witness is not a lawyer. 
A a lawyer argues the case. A witness tells us what he has seen and heard. Now, if Jesus Christ has done anything, anything at all for you, then you're a witness to that. You know, Dr. Howard Hendricks, he he adds, he says, it's not you're going to be my witnesses and then receive power. But the other way around, you're going to receive power, the result of which is you are going to be my witnesses. See, that's an interesting point. Because often we spend a lot of time trying to urge people to witness concerning the faith. But nothing inside of them would ever warrant them to go do that. They have nothing to share with others. And if they tried, they would be doing nothing but putting on an act. But listen, let me give you another scenario. By contrast, let's just say a young lady at the university, she gets engaged over the summer. In the fall, she she walks onto the campus and the first thing you know, she's waving that ring finger in front of anybody who will listen. No one has to beg her to show her, show them the ring. No, there's something inside of her that compels her to take the initiative. She's in love with a man and she's got to share it. She can't keep it to herself. And that's the kind of dynamite and the dynamic that, that Luke is talking about that we see in this passage. As a result of what the apostles receive, they are going to be witnesses. But whose witnesses? Jesus Christ's. By his personal identification they're going to represent him see our Judea is of course all of America it seems hard to think of America with our churches and schools and civilized life as a mission field but folks there are tons of people who live in the cities who live in the suburbs who live in small towns who live out in the country who have never trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And we must go to them. They are our responsibility. See, America also includes our Samaria. You know, it shocked the disciples when Jesus led them into the villages of Samaria. I mean, to go to Samaritans, they had to cross social and religious barriers. I mean, the Samaritans were half-breed Jews. They prostituted their religion. They compromised their morals. They even rejected their heritage. The Samaritans, they hated the Jews out of intimidation and envy. The Jews, they hated the Samaritans out of disgust and conceit. It had not dawned on the disciples to go to the Samaritans They had never even spoken to the Samaritans until they realized that Jesus was taking them into their cities. Folks, there are people and places in America that are not easy to go to. Some people have corrupted our heritage as Americans. People who who live in filth and immorality, maybe possessed by drugs or alcohol or criminal lifestyles. There are places... In America, so filled with hatred and violence and temptations, 
that truly and honestly we would like to forget that those places exist. But the fact remains, they do exist. And they need Jesus. It may be you that is sent directly into one of those places. I mean, you cannot escape the fact that Jesus had laid on us the responsibility of reaching out to the uttermost parts of the earth. I mean, he's commanded us to go to, to, to South America. He's commanded us to go to South Africa, to the Near East, to the Far East, to Eastern Europe, to Southeast Asia, to places where the gospel is restricted and to where churches are controlled. Some of us must go. Some of us must go. My question is, will you? Will you go? See, I believe that there are lots of Jonas in America running away from the Ninevehs where God wants us to go. Let me plow just a little bit closer to the corn here this morning. Would you send a son or a daughter? Listen, there is no higher calling. There is no greater sacrifice. It should bring pride to the heart of every Christian parent to be able to say that a son or a daughter has gone to places like Slovakia or to China or to Indonesia to tell people about Jesus. Oh, I'm aware of the sacrifice that's involved. But after all, that's the sacrifice that God gave to us. He sent us His Son. So we have to go to the place of commission. But we also have to go to the place of compassion. You know, the missionary movement didn't begin with the voices of great preachers ringing from the pulpits in America or in Europe or the giving of a large fortune of, in sacrifice for the cause for a, or even a great army of, of mission volunteers. The modern missionary movement began in a cobbler's shoe shop in England where William Carey cut scraps of leather into the shapes of nations, the nations of the world, and he sewed them together into the form of a globe, stirred by the God-given burden in his heart for the world. William Carey prayed. He prayed especially for the people in India who desperately needed to hear the gospel. Out of his concern, he helped form the original Baptist Mission Society. And out of the burden that filled his heart, he went to India where God said to go. See, the first step in going to our world is caring for the lost. You can't read the Gospels without being moved by the compassion of Jesus Christ. It is evident in His preaching. It is evident in His teaching. It is evident in His works of healing. All of His works and all of His words were driven by His concern for the lost. I mean, read on into the book, book of Acts and into the epistles. 
And you'll discover that it was their compassion that drove the apostles out into their world. Seeing the lost people around them. The people who were dying without a relationship with Jesus Christ. Oh, they were arrested. They were beaten. They were even martyred for the message of the gospel. But they continued to go. Even in the midst of great hardships and persecutions. Because they cared about people. See, the Apostle Paul, he must have wept often on the pages of his letters to the churches as he told them about his witness for Christ. Listen, it can be a frightening thing to consider leaving the security of home and loved ones to go to a distant land with a strange language and strange customs to do a difficult job. But it can be just as frightening to witness to a friend at home. I'm sure you've felt the butterflies, and I have too, that can flutter our stomach when we set out to visit with a neighbor in the name of Christ. The Scripture gives us the key to overcoming these fears in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. 1 John 4, 8 says, There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. If you're afraid to witness to your boss, or to your teammate, or to your next-door neighbor, I would encourage you today to begin praying for them every day. I have some neighbors that live right across the street from me, Garrett and Courtney. They're lost as can be. They need Jesus. Partner with me in praying for them and for their souls. Don't just mouth a quick prayer for people. But actually intercede for them. Take time to pray for them. Take time to pray for their family. Do this. Pray for the souls of the lost. Pray for their soul. That their soul would be saved. And just like you pray for provision. For God to provide for your needs. Pray for the souls of men and women. And God will certainly draw them to himself. We know that His will is that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We know that is His will. So if we will pray for their souls, like we pray for God to provide for our finances, like we pray for God to provide for the things and the provisions in life, if we will pray for the souls of men and women, God will draw them by His power. Bind the hand of Satan against them. Pray that they will not have peace in their lives until they see that their greatest need is Jesus and they will seek and long to, to know Christ. If you pray like that for them, your compassion will grow for them and it'll grow stronger than your fear of going. Lastly, I would say this. Go to the place of completion. Jesus said to make disciples of all the nations. You're bound by the command to go. As long as there is a person within driving distance of our church or your home who does not know Christ, God has told us to go to every person in every nation who has, so that they will hear the, the price that Jesus paid for our redemption with his precious blood. You know, several years ago, Joel Shoemate and I were on a mission trip in Southeast Asia. And our missionary friend there shared a story 
with a young female, about a young female doctor who, who took on a rural practice out in the country so she could share her faith in Jesus with people. Many weeks and months went by and the city fathers came to her and they, they told her she could stop talking about Jesus now. They said, everyone here has heard about Jesus. So stop telling us about him. Stop talking about him. Oh, that those same words would be said about our community, about our witness. Everyone has heard. Have you ever longed for the day when there will be no more heartache, no more evil in the world? I have. I've stood beside the bodies of men and women whose bodies were eaten up with cancer. I've wept with friends over the loss of their sons, over another's daughter. I've seen starving children in America, in Africa, in Central America, in Haiti. I pray for the day of Christ's return when it will all be made right. That day will not come until we finish our task. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 14, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world for a witness to all the nations, and then the end shall come. You know, when I was a kid, we all had our, our chores and, and our share of them to do. And I remember working hard to stack ricks of wood on the back porch as a boy growing up in, in central Washington state. I used to love when my dad would come home from work and he would say, hey, that looks pretty good, son. Good job. But I didn't always work as hard as I should have. There were also hillsides to explore, bikes that needed to be ridden, dirt clods to throw, trees to climb, and a thousand other things that boys can do to pass the time when I should have been working. And I can still hear the disappointment in my dad's voice as he would ask some days, Son, did you do what I told you to do? It starts... In our Jerusalem. Reminds me of the man who went to a missionary sending agency and he said, I want to be a missionary. And they interviewed him and they said, What are you doing for Jesus here? And he said, Not much of anything. And they said, Well, please, for God's sake, don't go overseas and do that, don't export it. Have you been Jesus' witness in your Jerusalem, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your school, in your workplace? My encouragement to you today is to begin in your Jerusalem. Start there. See, our Lord commanded us to go with the gospel to every person on earth. Will you do what he has told you and commanded you to do. Because one day, before very long, we're going to stand before him. Will you rejoice together because you went when he said go? Or will you bow your head in shame 
that you ignored his command. Let's pray together. Loving Father, I thank you for this time and I thank you, Holy Spirit, for your word. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would convict our hearts when we've been just complacent, when we've been cowardly, when we've been in our own comfort and not done the things that you've asked us to do. I pray, Father, that you would move us out into Jerusalem, that we too would go, not only to Jerusalem, but to all Samaria, to Judea, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Father, I pray that your will would be done. And I ask, Father, that you would make our hearts willing to be willing to do your command. And we're going to be very careful to give you all of the praise and all the honor for what you do in our lives. Lord Jesus, we love you. We praise you. It's our joy to do your bidding. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. I want to thank you for joining our worship time together this morning. And I just want to ask you, are you in need of making a decision? You know, maybe the Holy Spirit has, has spoken something to your heart. And, and, and maybe you're saying, you know what, I, I don't have Jesus in my life. I don't, he is not my Lord and Savior. And I need uh, Him to come in and, and to be my Lord and Savior. How do I do that? You know, the Bible tells us very simply, if we will confess Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, if we will admit that we are a sinner in need of repentance, in need of, of, of the blood of Jesus to wash our hearts clean, if we will confess Him as our Savior and Lord, inviting Him into our heart to be our Lord, He will come in and we will be cleansed forever. We invite Him to come in he comes in and He does just what He says He would do. He tra begins to transform our lives. Scripture says if we do that, we will be saved. Are you ready to follow Jesus today? Are you ready to repent of those things that aren't right in your life? Are you ready to come clean with God and just lay it all on the table? The foot of the cross is level. And every one of us must come through the cross of Jesus Christ, through his shed blood, in order to be with God. He invites you to do that this morning. You know, if the Holy Spirit has spoken something to your heart, you'd like to talk to somebody, I want to give you an opportunity this morning to call someone on the phone so that they could pray with you. This morning, if you want to reach out, if you want to talk or pray with somebody about your relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you to call the number on the screen. My friend, my brother, Joel Shoemate, is going to answer the call and to pray with you this morning. He would love to do that. His number is 254-541-8212. He's waiting to answer the phone call when you call. Please do that today.